Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. this morning. I'm going to read it real quick. Zechariah 4 and 10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He's rejoicing to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. It tells us parenthetically that the seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. All right, I'm going to dive right in today uh, and just talk to you this morning about, from this title, uh, Small Beginnings, Big Things. How many know that big things come from small beginnings? Uh, we oftentimes, we don't like small beginnings, but what we just read said that God rejoices in small beginnings. God said, I rejoice just to see the start of it, just to see it begin, almost as if to say, well, you've got to start somewhere. Uh, we've all heard that saying, you've got to start somewhere. And God is saying, I rejoice just to see it start because every big thing started as a small thing. Businesses oftentimes smart, stall, uh, start rather very small. Uh, I've heard the story of, of Microsoft, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company. I would assume, I don't know, I didn't get a valuation on it. Uh, somebody can correct me after church. Now it is, but it started in a garage. Started on, uh, you know, soldering electronics together on so, in a card table in a garage. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. I've heard of Apple computers being the same way. How many know families start small? Start little. Two young people. All they got is love. No money in the bank account. <laughs> Maybe at first they're living in the mom and dad's basement or they get some little apartment somewhere. And they start out with just a nightstand and a dining room table and that's about all they start out with. And life adds to them and they grow and they grow and, and their career takes off and, and God adds children to their life and it just it takes off from there. Ministries start small. Ministries sometimes will start in school cafeterias, start in storefronts, start as just a little prayer group in somebody's living room, and it takes off and it grows because God blesses it and, it, and it moves and it grows and it grows and it grows. But here's the key. The Lord rejoices just to see the work begin because He sees where it's going from there. God is able, and this is what I want you to catch today, God is able to rejoice at the beginning because He knows where it's going. God rejoices at the beginning because He sees the potential in it. And even though we don't see where it's going, if God is rejoicing, I feel like we ought to be able to rejoice. Because if God is in it, I can rejoice in it. And I, and, and I don't have to see where it's all going for me to go ahead and rejoice 
right here and right now. You know, if God showed us the plan, I don't think they would require any faith. Right? Sometimes I think if God told us the plan, we would get so afraid of it, like Moses, that we wouldn't want to do it in the first place. But if God gave us the whole plan, then it wouldn't require any faith. And God wants us to step out into a small beginning, not knowing what's going to happen, but we step out in faith and God says, I've got the rest. It wouldn't take any faith if God told us the end from the beginning, hey, just do this and, and everything's going to just take off in this way and that way because it wouldn't require any faith. God wants me to have faith in this. God wants me to step out of the boat saying, Lord Jesus, is that you out there? And, and if it's you, just tell me to come and step out of the boat into something. I think if you're going to do what God has called you to do, if we as a church are going to do what God has called us to do, we've got to have faith to do it before we ever see it happen. We've got to believe that God will bless it before it ever happens. We've got to hold to it, believe for it, work in it, walk in it, hope for it, have strength in it, and God will bless it every step of the way before I ever see it. God knows the end from the beginning, and He's just asked us to step out in it. You know, the, the theme of, of this book that I read that passage from is the prophet Zechariah. And he's writing to encourage God's people in that small beginning. They're coming back from being exiled. Uh, they're coming back from being in slavery again. They're coming back to the land of their fathers. And they are very discouraged. They're very distressed because the city is in ruins. Uh, their defense, uh, their walls, their, their military for sure. It's all broken down. They're coming back and, and looking for their, their home that maybe their grandfathers and their great-grandparents, their ancestors had left. And they go and they find that their house is in ruins. They go and find that their businesses and their shops are destroyed. Their infrastructure, their schools, their economy, their, their vineyards, their gardens, their farms, their agriculture, it's all destroyed. And then, of course, most distressing to them, however, was the temple of God. The temple that Moses started, that, that, that David dreamed of, and that Solomon built in all of its glory. And they began to ask, they said, how could we ever attain again the glory and the splendor of Solomon's temple? This is just rubble. It's nothing. We, uh, it's little. It's insignificant. I don't know how we'll ever build that again. We're so far away from the mark. We're so far down. And the prophet uh, Zechariah, his ministry and his word was a word of encouragement. We'll read some of the concurrent passages today from this time. Haggai was a contemporary prophet of the day. And his, his, his ministry was very much of, of repent. Let's get it right this time. Last time we forgot God and we walked away from God. And that's what got us in this mess. Let's make sure we don't do that again. But even though they were in the, this mess, God used the encouraging ministry of Zechariah to say, even though it's rubble right now, God is rejoicing at us just picking up a hammer. 
God is rejoicing at us just laying down the measuring tape and cutting some wood. And he says, don't despise the small beginning because God is in this. God has gone before us. God is working with us. God is rejoicing over what you are doing. And I just want to speak that to somebody today. You might not feel significant. You might not feel like what you're doing is a big deal. But I just want you to picture it today. God is rejoicing somewhere in heaven right now. Every time you call on His name. Every time you take a step of faith. God is rejoicing just to see it begin. How many say amen to that today? Amen. You know, uh, this first thing I want to show you is that if you get this word from God, you've got to, to hear it, you've got to listen to it, and you've got to hold on to this until you see it. And, and this is what happened. It's in Zechariah 1 and 16. Zechariah gets this word from God, and he is laser focused on encouraging the, God's people to rebuild the temple. In fact, his whole book is visions about, about the splendor of the God's house, how it's going to be again. That's his whole book, is, is visions and encouragement of what this house can be. But in the 16th verse of his book, he gets this word from God that God says, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. I'm coming back with mercy. You might have messed it up, but I'm coming back with mercy. He says, my house shall be built in it. And once Zechariah got this word, that was all that he needed. And that was enough for him to preach and to teach those builders to get to work. And I want you to get this Bible principle today because it's true. And it's also different than what I think maybe we hear in some pseudo-spirituality or some self-help books that tell you. If you'll just visualize it, you can have it. If you just picture it, whatever you want, you can have. And I'll tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. You still with me? That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, my, my boys, they've been in, into playing basketball uh, this summer, and they're getting to those ages where they're enjoying that. And they, they went to a basketball camp, and they're playing in this little basketball league, and they've been trying to get me out into the driveway at night and, and shoot around with them. And uh, they had the goal lowered. I'm embarrassed to tell you guys this, okay? They had the goal lower, lowered the other night, and they said, Dad, I bet you could dunk that. And I look up at it, and I think, well, yeah, I think I can. I didn't. <laughs> I was visualizing it, but it didn't happen. I think it used to could have happened, but I don't have that spring in my legs anymore. So I could visualize being an NBA player all day long, and it's not going to happen. I'm too old, not tall enough, not athletic enough, a whole bunch of other disqualifiers we don't have to get into. So I could sit and envision it all day long, and it's not going to happen. I could quote Philippians 4.13 as I'm running up to try to dunk that basketball and say, I can do all things through Christ. And I believe that, but it's Christ that strengthens me. And so if it's not in His will to strengthen me for that, then I can't do it. But when I get a word from God, and it's His will, 
his way, his purpose, his I wish somebody was with me today. His design, his work, all of a sudden his strength is with me. And now I can quote that verse and say I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Because it's his will, his work, his design and his purpose. And so it's when he gives me that yes, when he puts that word, that promise in me, now I have that ringing in my spirit. And I think for everybody that came against Zechariah with negativity and discouragement and I, he had something in him because he couldn't see it yet, but he couldn't see it in the natural. But he just had this word that said, hey, we've got to build God's house because he's coming back with mercy and there's going to be his glory and I don't see it yet. I see rubble. I see a mess. I see destruction. But I've got a word from God that it's not always going to be that way. But God has a plan. You know, even on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had this plan. Told him to go to the upper room. And, and make it a prayer room. Wait, don't leave there until you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And this prayer meeting went on for about 10 days. They're just praying, believing, and waiting. And then it says, as the day of Pentecost was in full, when it had fully come, 10 days after Jesus' ascension, uh, after 10 days after His instruction, that the first thing that happened was there was a sound. There was a sound that came. So when the day of Pentecost came, the first thing that happened was they were all in one place. They were all in one accord. But the first thing that happened, it said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven that sounded like a rushing mighty wind. And so before anything happened, they could hear what was happening. Before the Spirit fell, they could hear that something was happening. Before they saw the fire, they could hear that something was happening. Before they prayed in the Holy Ghost, they heard that something was happening. And this is how God works. You will hear from the Word of God before you ever see what God is doing in that situation. I think that's why it's so important for our prayer to be a dialogue, not just a one-way conversation. Sometimes I think folks pray like they got a prayer list. Prayer lists are good. But sometimes they'll have a prayer list. God, I need this. 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 All right. Amen. You ever prayed like that? Don't have to say amen. Sometimes we pray like that. But when you pray, there's a listening in your spirit. There needs to be a listening in your spirit. Lord, am I asking what James said? Don't ask amiss. Lord, am I praying amiss? Is this what you want? Is this what you're asking me to do? It's got to be a dialogue. You've got to get there. They were praying for 10 days, but they had to get to a place that they were praying through some things. And sometimes we've got to get to a place where we're praying through some things. I was talking to somebody just a week or so ago that was saying that was telling me, you know, when I pray, I just I, I have this doubt that comes in my mind. I have this fear that comes in my mind. I wonder if God even even is hearing me. And and when I pray, I just feel like I'm not worthy, you know, for God to to hear. And I told him, I said, you've got to pray through that. You got to pray through that. Just keep praying. The enemy comes to you with doubt and fear. Pray through that. 
When, when, when you feel like you're not worthy to come into his gates and into his courts, you've got to pray through that. We, we don't use that term so much anymore, but I think there's a power in people learning to pray until I pray through the barrier, through the situation, through that tear, through that pain, through that doubt, through that unbelief. Pray through the worry. I wish somebody would preach with me today. Pray through the worry. Pray through that fear. Pray through that problem. Pray through that doubt. Pray through the offense. Pray through the hurt feelings. Pray through the discouragement. Pray through the stress. Pray through the pain. Pray through the hurt. Pray through it all until there's a breakthrough and God has a word for you at that breakthrough. And you can pray through to some things. How many know there's peace on the other side of that breakthrough? How many know there's joy on the other side of that pray through? How many know there's, there's, a, there's a, a love, there's a, there's a power on the other side of that pray through? And that's where you've got to pray through. And when you get there, you'll have a word in your spirit that, that everything's going to be all right. And you'll hear God's answer in that prayer. You'll get God's promise. You'll get God's words. You'll get heaven's will. You'll get heaven's plan, heaven's design, heaven's way for your life, for your situation. That's why you can get up out of a prayer meeting and say, I didn't know which way was north, south, east, west when I came out of here. But I've got my direction and I got it from the altar. I got a word and I got it from heaven. I got a will. I got a way. I've got a plan, I've got a design, and I got it in prayer. And if you've got a word, you've got a way through. That's what you've got to get. You know, it, it said in Romans 10 and 17 that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I'm not just listening to anybody, I'm listening to the word of God. Because if I listen to people, they're going to give me all kind of different advice. But my, my direction, I've got to have my ear attuned to the Word of God. That way when a brother or a sister or a counselor or a pastor comes and, and they're saying what I'm hearing, what I'm reading in the Word and what I'm feeling in prayer, it's a loud amen to what God has already been saying in my life. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, for we walk by faith. And not by sight. Because oftentimes what you're hearing by faith is not what you're seeing around you. I'll show you in a few minutes, but what Zechariah was hearing, he wasn't seeing. He's hearing that the splendor of this house is going to be great, but he's seeing rubble. He's seeing discouraged people. He's seeing people that don't want to rebuild, that don't want to work. But he's got his ear not tuned to the discouraged folks. His ear is tuned to the Lord. And so it, this, this, this word hearing in, uh, in that uh, Romans 10 and 17, that word, it's, it's a perpetual listening. I just get the idea uh, uh, of somebody with that, with that stethoscope just, just listening. They're just intently listening. And we could say that faith comes by hearing or listening to the Word of God. It, it means to listen. 
That's why I think being here today, you're in the right place at the right time. You're in the house of God. I always say on the first day of the week, the first few hours of the first day of the week is so powerful because it's here that you get a word that directs the rest of your week. And you're hearing the voice of God and you're able to come to the altar and get a direction for the rest of your week. And it doesn't have to be only on Sunday, but you can start your day in the word of God and dive into the word and say, God, I need a direction. I need one word for my day. And then church on Sunday, like I said, it can be a loud amen to what God is already speaking in your life every single day. And now I'm not double minded. I'm not confused. I'm like Zechariah with a laser focus on what God wants to do in my life. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's not what I see around me. It's what God is saying to me. Here's what I want to show you. It's in Ezra chapter 3 verse 10. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel. So here they are. The builders are laying the foundation. The priests are there in their priestly garments, the trumpets. And it says they've got symbols. They're ready to praise the Lord according to David, uh, the way that he did it. Verse 11, it says they sang, they're praising, they're giving thanks to the Lord. They're saying all the right things. They're saying, for he is good. I'm in verse 11 there, Carlins. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I love that. I love that. There's folks that are already excited. They don't see the steeple. They don't see the lights. They don't see the choir loft. Can I just preach it how I want to? They don't, see, they don't see the baptistry. They don't see the decor. They don't see the carpet. They don't see none of it. They just see a slab and they're already ready to rejoice for what God is going to do in that house. But here's the confliction. It says in verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers of houses, it was the old men, everybody say the old men. It's the old men's fault this time. They had seen the first temple. They were old enough that they were as boys remembered seeing Solomon's temple. And they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. But yet still many shouted for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For, all, or for the people shouted with a loud shout and this noise, this sound was heard from afar off. So catch it now. There's people that are discouraged. There's people that are weeping. And there's people that are encouraged and shouting and praising God. Now because there were several prophets at this time, I'm going to go to Haggai to read you a little more window into this. The word of the Lord in verse 1 comes through Haggai. Verse number 2, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you, watch it now, who of you is left? He calls them out. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? 
Does it not seem to you like nothing? But be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son, uh, son of Josedek. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I feel like when you're discouraged, you ought to break this chapter out right here. I'm in covenant with you. My spirit is with you. Don't fear. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. This is referring to 1 Chronicles 7 when they dedicated Solomon's temple and they were doing the sacrifices and the house shook so strong that they couldn't stand to minister in the temple. God is saying, in a little while, that's going to happen again. He says, I'm going to shake all the nations. What is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. They're thinking, I love verse 8 here too. I don't know, I just get excited. I, I know it's a lot to read, but I just got excited reading this this week. The silver, you wonder how it's going to happen? How are you going to pay for it? The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord God Almighty. And here's what I love. And, and, and somebody could just go ahead and shout right here. I wouldn't be upset. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. Oh, somebody ought to hear that word from the Lord today. Somebody ought to turn off the negativity, turn off the news, turn off negative voices, drown out some negative folks in your life, and listen to what God is saying. God is saying the present house is better than the former house. What I'm doing right here is better than I've ever done before. What you're going to see is better than what you've ever seen before. That's the promise of God. I want to show you number two here is that we ought to work until we see it. Remember Zechariah 4 and 10, it said the Lord rejoiced to see the work begin. Don't forget it's going to take work. He said the gold is mine, the silver is mine, there's wood to do it, but you got to work. You got to work. Jesus said the harvest is ready, but I need some laborers. I need some workers. I need some folks that will get out there and, and cut some wood and, and lay some gold and, and lay some, some, some uh, foundation there. In Haggai 1 and 8, it says, Go up to the mountain, bring the wood down, build the temple, that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified. And so, so sure, the word of the Lord came and they, and they had to hold on to it through all the discouragement, but they also had to get to work. God's instruction was to work. We don't just lay down and God just, boom, it comes out of thin air. We, they had to go up the mountain. They had to cut the trees down. They had to cut the wood. They had to cut it to size. They had to lay the timbers. They had to build the temple. I, I, I've said this during the fast almost every year, but physical obedience brings spiritual blessing. Physical obedience brings a spiritual breakthrough. 
And, and, and so the Bible is full of, if you will, I will. How many times does God say that? If you will, I will. If you will humble yourself, call on my, on my name, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal your land. Then I will bless you. If you pray, I will hear you. If you call on my name, I will answer you. If you come near to me, I will draw near to you. If you will repent and change your ways, I will forgive you. If you will believe, I will heal, I will deliver, I will save, I will, I will bless, I will provide. I'll... But it's, it's if you will, then God will. This is, this, why, I don't, why does God do it this way? I don't know. God does it however He wants to do it. But God doesn't want to just do something for you. God wants to do something with you. This is, this, is, this is what we see in creation. God could have created Adam as a robot to just worship him and serve him, but he didn't. He created Adam and Eve with a garden with free will so that they could choose to serve him or choose not to serve him, to choose to worship him or choose not to worship him. This is why when Jesus would heal somebody, he would say, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed thee. Now, it wasn't just their faith that healed them, right? It was Jesus that healed them. It was Jesus' power, Jesus' grace, Jesus' healing virtue it was Jesus being Jesus that's how they got healed but Jesus says it's your faith that made you whole so which is true I say they're both true I say it's 99.9999999 percent God's healing power but it's 0.00001 percent my faith my partnership with Him, my obedience to His Word, my, my willingness to step out and raise my hands, my willingness to step out in faith. It's, it's my, I'm having a part in it, and now I've got a testimony to say, look, oh, i got to tell you what God did in my life. I prayed, but God answered my prayer. I fasted, but God saw my heart. I believed for it, but God made a way. I stepped out in faith, but He was a bridge over troubled water. Oh, I had a need in my spirit, but God. I went to an altar, but He saved me. He filled me. He changed me. He picked me up. He did it. But now I've got a testimony that I partnered with God. And now I've got a testimony. I'm a living testimony of what God can do in my life. Why does God do it that way? Because He wants you to be a part of it. He could do it all Himself. But what glory is that? We've already read several times He said that I might take glory in it. That I might take pleasure in it. That I might be pleased in it. He's pleased by your sacrifice. He's pleased by your worship. He's pleased by your prayer. He's pleased by your faith. Oh, I'll get worked up about that today. I thought about how it was a small lunch. I thought about how it was a little boy. And how it was a big crowd. And how it was a big need. 
and Jesus taking this little, this little boy's lunch, just five loaves and two fish. And somebody even said, what is this in a crowd of so many? What is this little thing in a crowd of so many? But how many know little is much when God is in it? Right? And Jesus calls the disciples over. And he, he breaks the bread. And he prays over it. He blesses it. And watch it now. The miracle took place in the hands of the disciples. Because it says as they were passing it out. And as they were breaking it. That it never ran out. Now was it the disciples that did the miracle? Or was it Jesus that did the miracle? It was Jesus' power, Jesus' provision, Jesus' blessing over it. But the disciples were a part of that miracle as they passed it out, passed it out, passed it out. And the Bible says the disciples gathered up more left over than what they even started with. I want to tell you, God wants to work in your hands. God wants to work in your life. God wants to work through this church. God wants to work in our day. God wants to work in this place. God wants to work through you. I got to close. Music come. The last thing I want to say is that, is that we're going to believe until we see. Believe it until we see it. You know, what they were seeing wasn't what it would end up being. But they had faith for it until they saw it come to pass. Zechariah uh, chapter 2 verse 1. It says, now, notice, he, looked, he raises his eyes and looked. Now he's seeing it. Now he's seeing what God is doing. Chapter 1, he just heard it. But now he's seeing it. He raises his eyes and looks. And behold, here's what he sees. He sees a man with this measuring tape. He sees a measuring line in his hand. And so he says to the man, he says, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width is, to, uh, to see what is its width and what is its length. And then the word of God comes to him through an angel. Talked with me. Going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him. Who said to him, run, speak to this young man. Saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls. Because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Says, for I, says the Lord will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. What I want to show you there is in verse 4, is that God says, hey, I don't want you to put a limit on what I'm doing. I don't want you to build a wall around the, what I'm doing. I don't want you to put a lid on what I'm doing. I just want you to see this place without any walls on it, without a lid, without any limit, because what I'm doing, if you, if you see it with a lid, you won't see the abundance of what I really want to do. I want you to see it with no lid, with no, with no walls, with no top on it. I want you to see it like God sees it, as though it's limitless, as though anything is possible, as though 
I'm going to do what, what, what you could not even imagine above what you could even ask or think. There's a progression here I want to give you about God's houses to take notice of and how they got here. The first, of course, was that tabernacle tent of Moses. It was the plan that was laid out by God. It was the first church that was ever established for God's people. It was a tent put up in the wilderness. It consisted of an outer court and an inner court, and then the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. The dimensions were 15 cubits long, 15 cubits wide, and 15 cubits high. It was a perfect square height, length, and width. One man was allowed to go into the presence of God. God's glory would fall on that man on the Day of Atonement, and then it would translate to the people. That was God's church, but thankfully, things were just getting started. Then came the, the vision and the, that, that, that dream in David's spirit that said, God, I'm living in a palace, and you're living in a tent. That ought not to be so. God puts that calling on David's son to build a temple. And God now desires that permanent dwelling. God used Solomon to build something better. Over the course of seven years, this temple was built. No longer a tent, but now it's a beautiful house for God. And now the dimensions are bigger. It's 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits long, and 30 cubits tall. It's wider, bigger, taller than the tabernacle. But why? Because it wanted to contain more of God's presence, more of God's people, room for more, bigger, greater, more. God wasn't done outdoing Himself. He's moving and moving, moving. Now there's cherubims over the mercy seat. These cherubims were 18 feet high and 18 feet wide, making room for more mercy and more grace. Then there was Solomon's porch. It was 15 steps to climb up to the temple. There were psalms written about these steps. These steps I love. They were just available for anybody at any time to come and just worship. Anybody that wanted to come and pray, they could do it at any time on the porch into God's house. Anybody that wanted to worship, anybody that wanted to sing a song, anybody that just wanted to pray and get near to the house of God because God was opening it wider and wider and reaching further and further and farther and farther than He ever had before. Now the second temple comes, Zerubbabel's temple. And now this temple that we've been reading about today, it was 60 cubits in length, 60 cubits in height, four times bigger than Moses' tent, and two times bigger than Solomon's. And that's why God told Zechariah, he said, look, don't see the rubble, but understand that the glory of the present house, it's going to be even greater than the glory of the former house. And then God said, don't measure the city because this is going to be a house without walls. I don't want to lid on it. I don't want to top on it. I don't want you to limit what I've come to do. 
This was in the spirit of David, who one time got all excited about what God was doing. And he said, roll up the flaps on this tabernacle and just let the praises of God go out to the people and the worship of God go out to the people. This is why God wanted it established and said, look, let the church have no walls. Let the church be open to anybody, whosoever will. Let them come and drink of the water of life freely. John measured that temple in Revelation. He measured the walls. He measured the house. But then when he started to measure the outer courts, God said, stop. Throw away the measuring tape. Because you cannot measure the outer court. It's immeasurable. Because I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days. And there is no limit on what I am going to do. No limit on what God has come to do. Stand with me today. You know, I believe that God wants a church that has no walls. That has no barriers. Because every barrier has been torn down. At Calvary. It was in John 1 that the Word became flesh. It was in John 2 that Jesus is selecting disciples, rough fishermen, the unexpected. It was in John 3 that Jesus told a man how to be born again. It was in John 4 that he stooped down to this Samaritan woman at the well. It was in John 5 that a lame man was healed by the power of God. It was in John 6 that he fed 5,000 with those five loaves and two fish. It was in John 8 that they said, we, we've got, you, you, you're, you're going a little far here, Jesus, but this woman was caught in adultery. Surely you're going to close the door on her. And he said, yeah, whoever's going to close the door on her better not have sin. And he told her, go and sin no more. Then it was a blind man and and surely he's been blind since birth surely he sinned or his parents sinned but he opened his eyes and caused him to see John 11 Lazarus is in a grave the stones in front of the tomb he's been there so long they said Jesus you're late surely surely you can't open that wall surely you can't open that door Jesus says Lazarus there's no walls come on out of the grave John 14 he said look you're going to do greater works than I've done. John 19, he died for our sin. He took away the sin of the world. John 20, he comes out of the grave. He conquers death, conquers hell, conquers sin. In Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. And the only thing greater than the resurrection is the ascension. 500 people saw him ascend on that day. Jesus displayed for us that his power is not only over death and hell, but it's over every barrier that would keep somebody coming to the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, he poured out his spirit on 120. It spills out. And there's other people from other parts of the world and they say, I don't understand it. They're praying in the language that we know. And it was
was a witness to people from around the world. And on that day, 3,000 more souls were added to the kingdom. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 more were saved. Then in Acts chapter 8, a whole city. Then in Acts chapter 10, it was open to the whole world. I want to tell you today that it's still true right here and right now. What God is doing is for everybody. It's for the whole world. It's for whosoever will. So it might have started small. But look where it ended up. It started in a manger. It started in a stable. It started picking 12 rough, rough fishermen. But today, there's people all over this world in God's house. Worshiping Him. From every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. I want us to pray today. I want to invite you to come if you would. I want us to pray that God would use us. That God would use us to open these doors. In our family, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in our city. Let us be a light. Let us be a door opener. A church without walls. Let that be in this house. I'm going to pray over you today. I'm going to invite you to come. Lord Jesus, just pray in this house right now, God, that you would do what you've come to do, God. We want to be in your will, Lord. We want to have your way in this house, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do what only you can do. Let us be an instrument, God. Let us be a tool. Let us be a work, Lord, for what you've come to do in this house. And we pray it today in Jesus' name. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.